0: (laughs) I don't even know what Chief Keith means. Is that like a rapper? I know, but where does it come from? I'm not an Indian. I don't have any Indian heritage. I'm Irish, in case you're curious. Sorry, no offense to those of you who do have Indian heritage. Well, before I get into this, uh, let me just give a, a huge thank you. And I think you guys would share with me the youth that are here, a huge thank you for some folks who interact in your lives in ways that you may not realize all that it takes for them to be available and to serve and care for you and build a relationship with you. So uh, the New Orleans guys, uh, who are tremendously blessed, obviously, by Evan and Rebecca, and the guys from Crestview are greatly blessed by the buntings. So can we just say thank you to those guys with a little <laughs> applause for... Their impact and serving us, much, much appreciated. I say that both as a dad who is so grateful for the influence that Evan and Rebecca have been in my family's lives and as a pastor who cares for our youth. Um, Another thing for you guys to be aware of you know, you are surrounded by a bunch of adults that are in this room who are everything from college students to working adults who have a world and responsibilities that right now somehow is on hold. So there are jobs that are being ignored and responsibilities that are not being taken responsibility for by them so that they can be here with you guys. And some, for some of them, that means they're not getting a paycheck Whereas if they were working, they would be. For some, it means they're going to go back to a crazy week because stuff piled up and they were here with you guys. Instead, for some, it means parts of their family are not getting to see them, but they're doing that because they love you and they love what God has for you in their lives. So if you get it second, just thank these guys who are serving you this week, that they're helping to run teams and do games and set things up and just be available to you. Uh, They've done that at a cost, but they've done that because they love you and they, they love what God has for you in your lives. Um, tonight I'm going to talk through this topic. The topic is worship. And the question is who gets your affection or your allegiance? Let me start with, uh, let me start with with two stories. These are true stories. Uh, folks that I can remember meeting with, I, I've been pastoring now for a little over 25 years and, if I had a memory, I could remember a lot of stories, but I don't have a memory, so, but I do remember a few. And I remember sitting in my office with a, uh, a young man who was in his maybe early 30s. And at this point in his life, just life was upside down, very painful, a lot of problems going on. He had lost about his third or fourth job. He was on the outs with his girlfriend. He'd never been married, but he had a child by another woman who was very complicated because they had this child together, but he wasn't with her and he was with this other girl and problems were going on there and he had lost another job. And when he sat in my office, just his explanation for these situations was what everybody else had done wrong. And he just just went down the road and you couldn't believe a boss did this and the company did that and he was just complaining and, and we had met a few times and... So I felt like he trusted me enough for me to, to ask him some difficult questions. So I said, can I, can I have a really difficult and awkward conversation with you? I wanna introduce you to somebody. Would you mind if I did that? And he, no, well, sure. I said, I'd like to introduce you to you. And I just began to just talk to him about decisions he had made and responsibilities he had neglected and reasons why he made choices that he did throughout his life. That he was in a location at 30-something years old that, you know, standing here tonight, none of you guys want to be in that location, right? That's not a spot you want your life to head in. Oh, if he had known what we're going to learn about from those guys in Daniel chapter 3 here tonight. If he had known something of the nature of idolatry. That is inside the human heart. What a difference if he had known that as a teenager. right? One more story. Um, couple that I'd known for years. Walk with them before they were married. Walk with them after they were married. They eventually moved and we stayed a little bit in touch. And they were living somewhere else. And suddenly I get a phone call from the wife. And she's desperate. They've got a child by now. And before they got married, before he was saved, he had, he had some real struggles. He had some real struggles with things like alcohol and gambling. And here they were years later, and she's calling me, and she's totally in a panic because her husband's been missing for, for like two weeks. But she can see on some receipts that had been generated that he's been going to pawn shops and he's selling off he has professional equipment for his job so that he can go and gamble. And he is gambling away everything, and she is dying and afraid. How am I going to provide for my daughter? Uh, I don't even know when he's coming back or if he's coming back. And his life just turned upside down. And can you imagine being, he was, he was in his mid-40s by the time this happened, can you imagine you're 40-something years old and you've just so desperately given yourself to gambling that you go and sell your professional equipment Your and this is what you do for a living and you go sell that stuff so you can go gamble some more, right? Well, those things don't just happen, right? They didn't just happen when he turned 40-something or this other guy when he turned 30-something. There were some things in place when they were teenagers. And oh, how helpful it would have been to understand some of what we're going to look at tonight, to understand the nature of idolatry, and I want to just highlight something. I want to really ask you to try and pay attention carefully tonight, because as a teenager, I didn't pay attention to this stuff, right? Christianity starts sounding like a bunch of things that you do and a bunch of things that you don't do, and some things that the church is okay with, some things that it's not, some things your parents say are okay, some things that are not, and that kind of becomes what we think Christianity really is, But there's there's deeper stuff going on. There's there's things inside of us that need God in a really powerful, effective way because they're they're sort of waiting to turn on you. And you're a teenager now, and they can't turn on you too bad, but they're just beginning to build their momentum so that when you're going to tell your story at 30 years old, and you're going to sit across from a pastor, and there's something inside of you that wants your story to sound like his or the guy who was in his 40s, and that's in you. Right now, right? So, there's some things here we want to learn tonight that are super important to help us with that. So, turn to Daniel chapter 3. You guys have been learning from these guys who were hauled off into captivity and they're no longer at home. They're in a foreign land with a lot of foreign things around them and concerns and threats. Well, it's going to get really tough on them here in chapter 3. And Evan named this retreat here, he named it the word resistance, right? And then he gave you a definition. And I loved reading these definitions. These were, this was just cool words, right? Resistance is, I'm just going to pick one, the refusal to accept or comply with something, right? That's a strong word. Refusal, right? Something in you that's going to Take a chance, stand your ground, and you're gonna to refuse to give in to something else that's that's putting pressure on you. That's what resistance is. Right? So before we all get real brave and sound like, oh yeah, that's me, man. I'm, I'm part of the resistance. I'm gonna I'm gonna refuse some stuff. How many of you guys walk into this room? It's even worse on a Sunday morning. And there's this worship thing that we do and songs are being sung and we're uniquely turning our attention to God. And there are these ways of expressing ourselves to God. There's ways that God has created. God comes along and reveals to us. He loves singing. He loves for our hearts to well up with joy and celebration and awareness and wow. And, and like we've seen something great and we're so enamored and excited by it and we express it, we lift our hands, we clap, we celebrate, we're intense about it. But you need know, to walk in this setting and you feel like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do that in front of all these people. Right? Youth camp tends to be a time when God tends to release youth a little better in that category. And then you go back home and you're back at church and it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to do that back at, at home in church. All right, well, All right, well, where, where's the resistance? Where's the refusal in that moment? I refuse to let pressure him in my affection for God. I refuse that. I'm not going to do that. Right, these are cool words, but they're just words. They take a little guts to act on these big, cool resistance words. And these guys here, they're going to have to have some guts in this setting. So Daniel chapter 3, we're going to read the first few verses here, but I want you to be looking for something here. Let me put this slide up here. This is this is like a, you know, I don't want to make this a boring college class, but this is Idolatry 101. Thank you. Welcome to Idolatry 101. Do you guys remember when you were... You Maybe you still have this, but when you've when got like a reader, you're reading class. I don't know if you still have reading classes or not, but when you're in grammar school, you have reading classes, right? And then at the beginning of the story, there's a vocabulary list. These are words to look out for as you're reading through, and they kind of tip you off. that You don't know these words, but you're going to see them all over the story, and you kind of pay attention then. All right, well, here's the words I want you to, to pay attention to. If, if we're going to encounter idolatry, and we're going we're to zoom all the way back to 600 B.C., that's when this is taking place, right? We're 2018, this is going way back before Christ, 600 B.C., before Jesus comes, in a part of the world, they call it Babylon in the scriptures, it would be Iraq today, so it's in the Middle East, and we're going to learn something from them about idolatry, but we're going to learn tonight that it's not any different for us today, essentially. But these are our vocabulary words. If there's going to be idolatry, you're going to need a setup. Someone's got to set this thing up for it to become a possible idol for us. You're going to need to gather, particularly gather people to this idol. Idols don't ever do well by themselves. And so they, they want to be popular. They want a following. They want people to collect around them. And then there's going to be pressure that's going to come. Pressure in the form of consequences that if you don't go along with the idol, you're going to face consequences, right? So let's read the story and see some of these ingredients here. Chapter three, verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose weight was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather, right, he's going to get his people, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, officials, provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music... You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right, so here's here's our vocabulary words, right? There's this big image that's going to get created, and anytime you're dealing with an idol, an idol offers you something that's going to benefit you something that you're going to like. It's going to get your attention. It's going to get underneath your skin, and you're going to like what this thing has to offer. So Nebuchadnezzar offers people something. Then he gathers important people. These aren't losers. These are the important people, right? And, and then he, there's pressure that if you don't worship, give your life toward, subscribe to, participate in this idol, then you're going to be cast into a fiery furnace. All right, fast forward from... 600 BC in Babylon. Let's fast forward towards our lives, right? Let's go 1968, okay? You guys, you know, you remember the 60s? I mean, I know you don't remember them personally, but do you know the 60s have a reputation? Do you guys know that? 60s were a radical turning point where people changed their ideas about a bunch of things. People looked pretty similar leading up to the 60s, and then somebody set something up. There were, there were new ideas. There were these ideas that said, we don't want any of the old ideas. We want to we do our own things our own way. You know what? We, were, we just reject everything from people that came before us. So if guys had short hair before, they're going to have long hair now, right? So remember the hippies, right? They had long hippie movement. Everybody grew their hair. You know, and, and music, you know, music can't be what it was. We need our own music, right? Which is interesting. I find it interesting that Nebuchadnezzar has a band. All right, he's, there's going to be music involved in every one of these examples, there's going to be music involved too. So 1968, rock and roll is starting to turn the corner, starting to be a big deal. Uh, people want to have relationships differently. They, they, they want to have sex however they want to do it. It's not the way it was before. It's going to be done differently now. The drugs are going to be open, and they're going to be out there for people, and they're gonna, people are going to be high, and there's going to be these giant festivals. We're going to do it in public. People aren't going to dress right. right. So a big shift takes place in 1968. Fast forward, 1978. All right, 1978, now I'm starting to be a player. 1968, I'm four years old. So 1978, I'm a teenager, and things have changed. Rock and roll is still around, but now disco is in. You guys know anything about disco? Yeah, somebody else. Is that weird? You know, disco was just a weird thing that happened. Uh, But when disco comes along, whatever you were before, now... Now, clothing has changed. Hairstyle has changed. You know, the long hippie look is not in, but the feathered back look is in. And I would know that because I had the feathered back look in 1978. Um, The way you dress was different. Like you wanted to wear like a silk shirt. Men wearing pink silk shirts was kind of in. Open collar with jewelry hanging off your neck was kind of in, which I I did all this, okay? I'm confessing tonight. Some very embarrassing things. But... (laughs) I I did. Do I? I do not have a photo. All that was destroyed by Hurricane Katrina. I hope. Um, No, it probably wasn't. Uh, All right. So then, then then there was there was there was a gathering of people. But but you know you guys are like this too. You you only gather people into segments. Not everybody gathers to the same stuff. So when I was in school, in high school, there were three sets of people in high school. Uh, There were jocks. Right. They were the athletes dudes that, that made a big deal out of sports. There were nerds. The nerds were the guys who just concentrated on getting good grades. You know, they hung out with each other. Everything was about you know, writing a good report, getting an A, being in some debate club. Uh, and then there was the freaks. And the freaks were like the drug users and the, the partiers. And, and so these were your three groups. And so if you were gonna gather into a group, you were gonna be part of one of those. And I, I couldn't quite figure out who I wanted to be. I wanted to get good grades, but I definitely didn't want to be a nerd. Uh, I wanted to play sports, so I got to fit in amongst them. And then I started messing with, you know, the drug and party scene. So I was kind of a hybrid of all three of those, but I can actually remember, Frank will actually remember this as well. There was a high school football coach on our campus that if you left the football team for the purpose of grades, I actually remember him saying this. A guy leaves the football team because he's going to concentrate on his grades (laughs) and coach walks by and he says, ooh, babe. Heard you joined the nerd squad, baby, the nerd squad. That's what they were called. You were a nerd, right? So there is, there's groups that gather. Now, fast forward, 1978, 1988, maybe 1998, along comes hip-hop music, right? How many of you guys know styles changed when hip-hop music came along? For some reason, uh, no one could figure out how to wear a belt any longer, um, <laughs> Underwear became outerwear. Uh, you know, it was just a very strange series of events that took place uh, in the late 90s with hip hop. Uh, you know, and you fast forward again, and there's a new set of ideas. This time, it's kind of more around technology. It's more cell phone. Uh, the iPhone comes out, and it's a whole new culture. All right, fast forward all the, all the way up to our day. So you guys living in 2018, somewhere along here, people are still setting up idols, certain ideas, certain ways of doing things, certain thoughts that you're supposed to have. You're supposed to feel a certain way about things. And then there's going to be a gathering of people. And there's going to be little groups that you can be a part of. And there's not one group. So don't, don't, don't think that, well, that's not me. There's a little group that you want to be a part of. You don't want to be a part of every group, but there's a little group out there that you want to be a part of. And that group is going to create its own sense of pressure. It's going to create its own sense of rules. And it's going to require you to play by their rules, to do things their way. And if you don't, the most fearful thing that can happen to a teenager is going to happen to you. You are going to be alone. Worse than a fiery furnace. You ain't ain't got a group. You don't fit in. You're not somebody special. No one really cares about you. People make fun of you. You're on the outside, right? There are groups out there that you guys can be a part of, right? On your campus, there's, there's probably a mean girl group, right? You guys know who the mean girl group is? They're just, they're just tough, man. They're just rip you apart, mean people. There's the cool guy group. There's the tattoo piercing group. Uh, then this is, this is kind of a, a new one. There is the gender confusion group. I, I'm, you know, I'm being a little rough in using the word gender confusion, but it's almost like there's a group that has created a coolness for gender to be a real question that nobody's quite figured out about us. We don't, we don't know where we've settled in yet. And in schools, that's becoming a group. And so there's a fitting into that group and a not fitting into there. Every one of these is a group that you can fit in or maybe you can not fit in. And there's Pressure. If you don't go along, you're not going to be included. You're going to be left out. You're going to be made to feel like a nobody. How's that sit with you? You remember, resistance, though, is that cool word. It's the refusal to give in to that kind of pressure, right? Well, how are you doing in that? How are you doing not giving in to the pressure to fit into some? small group gathering that makes you feel like you're somebody, makes you feel like you're special, notices something about you, applauds something about you, and appreciates something about you. Well, this is where our word for the evening comes in, right? Evan's assignment was we want to learn about worship. Who gets your affection? Affection, right? Here, I like that word. It's a really good word in your outline, it says, it clarifies a quality of the Christian life that is essential to having the real deal rather than an imitation that can feel like an empty shell or something that fails to grab your guts. When you have affection for something, it grabs your guts. It means something to you. It's got weight. It's got reality. You... Run toward it with an enthusiasm and a desire in your heart. Is is that your walk with God right now? Or is that what you would describe me relating to God? That word affection describes how I relate to God. Listen, sadly, it's not just a youth group issue. This is a Christianity issue. Sadly, there's a lot of people who are capable of a lot of affection except when it comes to God. God. They can be wildly affectionate about all kinds of things, but when they get around God, they just look like a shell, like they're just going through the motions, like they can carry their Bible. And maybe in a small group, you're asked to read a passage. You could read a passage. But, but none of that lights you up. You, you don't, there's no tears that form in your eyes when you read about something about God. There's no wow that comes into your heart. There's no get out of my way. I want something that has to do with God. There's no willingness to sacrifice or put yourself in an awkward position. I'm just you know, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just kind of going with the flow. I'm just around the people I'm supposed to be around. I just come to youth. You know, I'm supposed to come to youth, etc. Listen, you know, God wants something that's got affection in it for you. God never had a concept that we would have a relationship with him that wasn't full of affection. Here, let's suppose this. Just just, just an affection survey. Let's see if we can find any affection in you. Let's just say we have a really special treat planned for you guys tomorrow. Um, Got a special guest, special music guest going to be here tomorrow. Um, Drake is going to be here tomorrow performing live his biggest hits. Yeah, I know. Can you believe it? Tomorrow night, Drake is going to be here performing. All right, now, if you're a Drake fan, I'm not even sure who's a Drake fan, uh, but if you're a Drake fan, that's kind of like, no way. Come on. Really? <laughs> There's a little sense of... All right, so let's compare. Let's say... Well, no, not really. Um, But tomorrow, Keith Bunting is going to play live a bunch of Drake songs. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm thinking that's more exciting, quite honestly. But, you know, you kind of go from, ah, to, okay. That that could be a little awkward, but all right. You know, I mean, it didn't awaken something in you, right? Um, Let's say... Tomorrow, we just, you know, just managed to be, you know, happened upon this. We knew somebody who knew somebody. Uh, The actor who plays Iron Man is going to be here tomorrow in the Iron Man suit. Tomorrow, he's coming tomorrow to play some field games with us, right? Oh, curiosity. Oh, that'd be like, oh, to see the real suit, to get around the real Iron Man. Uh, All right, that different awakening inside of you than tomorrow Pastor Evan is going to dress up in an Iron Man suit that we're going to get from Party City, right? Oh, right. it just doesn't do the same thing for me. It's kind of, oh, okay, all right, right? There, there are affections inside of you. There are things that they get awake and they come to life. It's like they sit up and they take notice. That's in you. You're capable of that. All right? one more. Let's suppose there's this guy or for you guys, there's this girl in school with you that you don't even know if they give you the time of day and if they know your name, but you really have got a crush on them. I mean, you would love for something, somehow for this to work out, that there's a relationship here. Oh, you talk about this person all the time. And, you know, you try out for theater one day, and strangely enough, you get cast opposite this person in Romeo and Juliet. So you go to practice every day and you're going through your lines, right? And, And girls, this guy stands up in practice one day up on the stage rehearsing and he says, this bud of love by summer's ripening breath may prove a beauteous flower when next we meet. All right, now compare that with a text that you get from the same guy who comes to you and he says, hey, I know we haven't spent a lot of time together, but would you want to go out Friday night? I think I kind of like you. All right, which one of those makes your heart go, what? <laughs> does the guy going through the motions of repeating Romeo's lines to you, does that make you go, oh, you said what to me in Queen's English that I couldn't understand? <laughs> but you get that text, Thank right? Or right. for you guys, you know, the girl stands on the stage in rehearsal, and she goes, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Yeah, I kind of doubt you go home going, oh, my gosh. You're texting your friends. Can you believe he said, wherefore art thou? All right, no, right? But suppose she sent you a text saying, hey, I noticed you hadn't been in school all week long. Hey, everything okay? And he's like, I've never got a text from her before ever. Well, she's interested, right? Something goes off on the Those are affections. Those things inside of you, that's affections. Those are good things. God is after them. He's not interested in Iron Man or Drake or whoever else being the people who own our affections while he sits on the sidelines in this disaffectioned relationship like we could care less. He doesn't do anything for us. That's not the God that he wants to be in our lives. All right, so in your outline there, I wrote this thought out. You can be a person who goes to church, who attends youth, who avoids really bad behaviors, but that doesn't make you a worshiper right? Because our topic tonight is worship. Who gets your affection? And the God who made us to be wildly lovers of him knows nothing of the idea of affectionless worship. It doesn't exist in the heart and mind of God. God made us to be affectionate people, so worship involves those affections, right? This is a key ingredient in what affection is. Right, here's a definition for affection. Affection is fond attachment. It's devotion. It's love. It's emotion or feeling or sentiment. Listen, that's why those words, they, they, they touch our lives a certain way. They, they make stuff fun. They make stuff enjoyable. They make us remember things. They make us long for things. When you subtract those things out of life, those are the things we don't care about. Those are the things we don't really want. Here's the origin of that word. These are strong words, right? All the way back from the 13th century where it comes from. It's an emotion of the mind, a passion, a lust, right? That almost sounds like a, like a bad thing. But a lust is a strong craving and desire, as opposed to just reason. You know what? Well, you know, I come to, you know, come to youth. Do you read your Bible? Eh, Yeah, I read my Bible. So, you know, do you ever pray? Well, you know, know, sometimes. That's all reasoning. That's just communication about what's going on. Affection is something that's pouring out of your heart. It touches you. It animates you. It makes you come to life. It's an attraction. It's enthusiasm, right? This is what affection is. And and it is such a vitally important component of your Christian life. We're about to see it's going to rescue these three from their day of idolatry. But it's critically important as to whether or not you've got the real thing or not. If your walk with God, your relationship with God lacks affection, guys, let's... Let's put that on the front burner while we're here this week. That's a massively important thing. God's not interested in being so disconnected from us. Now, right, look, look at these two thoughts. John Piper was once asked, you know, John Piper, love John Piper. Uh, his ministry, he, he developed a ministry called Desiring God. That's his ministry, Desiring God. God, So it's all about desires and, and what I want, right? And so he was asking, you know, why'd you name your ministry that? He says, I suppose you could say that's our answer. We emphasize the affections because so much hangs on them. Whatever your affections go off in, whatever your desires and longings and passions are for, you're going to act on that. Your life is going to take shape because of the affections that are inside of you. Right? Go back a few years. John Owens, a, a 17th century pastor, he says this. Affections are in the soul as the helm in the ship. If it be laid hold of, right? if you grab the steering wheel by a skillful hand, he turneth the whole vessel which way he pleaseth. All right, so in other words, if you can control the rudder of a ship, this relatively small little deal, you control the ship. And John Owen said, the affections inside of you, they're just like that. Right, look, look, at this, look at this ship with me. You guys recognize this ship? The honor of the Who said that? You read the notes. <laughs> no, I knew it. No way. All right, I'd be impressed. If you said the Titanic, it is the sister ship to the Titanic. So it looked a lot like the Titanic. There was three ships, all built around 1910. Uh, this is the Olympic. All right, so here's the deal. This is an ocean liner would cross the Atlantic, going back and forth, bringing Europeans to America, Americans to Europe. Uh, to Europe. This ship is 900 feet long. 900 feet long. This is an enormous ship. It holds over 3,000 people. If you've ever seen the Titanic, you know, you've seen pictures. They've got these big ballrooms and there's dining room tables everywhere and fine china. I mean, this this thing is heavy, floating in the water. It's a massive ship. But next next slide. It's got this little thing underneath it that you can't even see on the back of it called a rudder. Now, that rudder is pretty good size, actually, right? If you look carefully, I don't know if you can see it from over here, but there's a guy standing over there by the propeller. So it is a pretty good size rudder. But if you do the measurement on the thing, the rudder is about 75 feet tall, maybe about 30 feet deep. And that little thing right there is going to turn this massive, giant, heavy, 900-foot-long vessel with 3,000 people on it. That's what's going to turn it. And John Owen rightly says, affections are in your soul." like the helm in a ship. So if something can lay hold of your affections, it will steer you wherever it wants you to go. So your affections are extremely important. So whether or not I've been very successful tonight at finding out what button, when it gets pressed, makes you go, ooh, what? what? What did you say? Oh, I'm all over that, man. That's where your affections are. And whatever can touch that can touch you and guide you and lead you in the next direction. So here's the mystery. How do, you, how do you find out what your affections are all about? That can be hard, right? Affections are invisible, right? I can't, can't draw blood, I can't go to a lab and say, hey, when you take out about two ounces of affections and tell me what's going on in there, right? So they're these invisible things, but you know there's an old adage where there's smoke, there's fire. What are they teaching you people in school today? Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? If you smell smoke, right? If you're in your house and you smell smoke, what do you do? All right, well, either run. I mean, do you really run? Come on. Every time you smell smoke, you run. Most of you go see what mom's burning. That's what you do. But, but wherever the smoke came from, that's where the fire is, right? So, so let me just see if we can fish around and figure out. What's going on inside of us? in our affections. Where are our affections tonight? What are we really affectionate about? Well, remember, where there's smoke, there's fire. So let's, let's just look at a couple of smoke trails going back to some fire. How about the smoke of eagerness and pursuit? Things we get eager about. We want to pursue those things. All right, let's contrast that with me as a teenage boy who, you know, looked, you know, walking around the house, looked like anything but eager, You know, what is it about, I don't know if girls are this way as much, but boys, boys tend to get this attitude that looks like, you know, it can be middle of the afternoon, it could be in the morning, it could be any time, but you look like you just woke up, no matter what. You're moving slow, you're staring down at the floor, you just don't look real happy, you look troubled. You know, it's kind of this frumpy, you know, get some cereal, eat something, don't don't speak. Somebody speaks to you. Speak as quietly as humanly possible. No more than a syllable. Mm. What? Mm. <laughs> and then your friend calls, "Hey!" <laughs> or the girl that you're interested. In. "Hey!" I can I can literally remember being a teenager, and my dad would just cross paths with me and he'd go, "Smile, Keith." I mean, over and over again, it irritated the tar out of me. But obviously, I was not the happiest looking dude walking around the house. But what is it about the second my friend showed up or that girl I was interested in, if she called, I didn't have this, hmm. Mm. Mm. Like, now, now I want to make an impression, right? Now, what's the difference? Affections. I want something. I have desires in that category. that I didn't have any desires toward my own family. I don't really care what they think about me. There's no desire there. But I got desires somewhere else. How about the smoke of certain people in certain places? Right? We, we want to be around certain people, and we don't want to be around some other people. Right, there are some people that if they invited you to do something, they couldn't get your attention. You, as a matter of fact, you try to avoid them. You don't want to answer that text. Whatever you do, don't let them know your phone is working because then you might have to be with them. But somebody else texts, Oh, oh, oh I want to be there. Oh, Mom, hey, can you drop me off? And, uh, and, and we're all animated. We're making plans. We've organized the whole world. What, what was the difference? Affections. We wanted something and we didn't want something else, right? You got affections inside. How about the smoke of, this is a tricky one, the smoke of hostility in your life, All right? Here, here's how this smoke develops. Something happens. You've got friends. You're growing up, right? You're growing up in your family, but this is, you know, pre-teen years. When you get into teen years, it gets a little tricky. So pre-teen years... Everybody in your family is your bud. You get along with everybody, younger brother, younger sister. Everything's cool. But then you just get pushed far enough into the teen years, and suddenly that same person you do not feel the same way about. There's a little hostility growing here. You'd prefer to make fun of them. You'd prefer not to be seen with them in public. You'd prefer that they don't come with you to X, Y, and Z. There's a little bit of something going on in you that's, that's a little different, something, almost like a little hostility. Or, or how about... You guys maybe have been on the receiving end of this. You've got some friends that are in your neighborhood that you hang out with, your buds, and they've got some friends that they go to school with. You ever watch this happen? The school friends show up on home turf territory, and suddenly your friends in the neighborhood won't give you the time of day. It's like all of a sudden they ignore you, they, they say embarrassing things about you, they try and put you on the spot, just... 2 hours earlier we were buds we were hanging out we were having fun we were laughing but now there's like this hostility going on what happens well there's something weird in us we it's that allegiance word when we start transferring our allegiance to other people there's something that we i don't know why we feel obligated like to to be hostile towards others right now, i've watched this happen Watched it happen in my own life as I grew into the teen years. Had one relationship with my parents, but as I got older, there was just like this hostility. I didn't want them to know what was going on with me. I didn't want them to ask me questions. If they did, it irritated me. I answered in such a way that it inspired them to never ask me another question again. I responded with a boatload of emotion if I wanted to get them off of me. It was like this hostility was happening here. Why was that? Well, because I was picking up my allegiance and transferring it somewhere else and when you do that there's something about what you used to be loyal to you just don't have the same loyalties anymore i watched this when i was a youth pastor i watched kids come into the youth ministry sixth seventh eighth grade ninth grade tenth grade tenth grade was trouble up until that time The coolest thing was being a part of the youth group. The coolest people in the whole world were the the youth pastor and everybody in the youth ministry. This is the most awesome thing. And something happens in about 10th grade. I'm not sure I like these people. They're a little quirky. They're a little nerdy. I'm going to play foolish games at all night lock-ins. You know, I like we're too cool for that now. And we're not interested And eventually I'd be having conversations with his parents. Hey man, how come so-and-so hadn't been coming? I don't know. He's just, it's just a constant fight. I can't get him to come anymore. Blah, 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 blah. And almost every time that happened, I would find out that kid got some new friends at school, spending all their time. They got a girlfriend, got a boyfriend. And if something happens, you transfer your allegiance somewhere else, and and whatever you used to relate to, you become hostile to. what, What is that telling you? Well, it's kind of a weird thing, but it's just telling you, you have these affections on the inside of you. They go off. They want stuff, and they're guiding you through your life, and you have them, right? I just want to help you pay attention to them a little bit as you move along through life. All right, one more diagram. This one's super, super critical here. Right, James chapter 1. What's going on when all this stuff? Is it just a mystery of, hey, at 30 something, this guy's life ended up in the tank, at 40 something, this guy, oh man, sudden bad turn, huh? That's a shame. How did that happen? All right, well, well, the Bible actually gives you a a play by play analysis of how do you end up in a bad place? How do the consequences of life fall on us? Right? All right, so before I even walk through this, let me just get you guys to help me out here. What would you say are some bad consequences that could be, saying it would be, and hopefully it won't be, that could be in your life five years from now or ten years from now? What would be some bad consequences that you guys could think of? Just shout, shout at me real quick. Remember that refuse to give into the pressure thing? Uh, jail, okay. Jail, that would be a, a, a bad place to land. What? Depression, all right, in a state just where you're just overcome and just not feeling right about life. What else? Getting a butt whooping. A butt whooping. Yeah, you're right, man. Getting a butt whooping. Hey, you know, not a lot of people use the word whooping anymore, so that's, I'm proud of you. Child. What's that? Child. Uh, being a child. Having a child. All right. Thanks for clarifying that, oh, because yes. you know if you were talking about going backwards in time. Yes. All right. Having a child. That would that would definitely be a massive consequence in life five or ten years from now. House arrest. All right. As opposed to jail. Maybe just a little dose of house arrest. Divorce. Somebody said divorce. All right. Yeah. Hey. Right. Can I just tell you, unfortunately, with this many people in a room, the odds are in five to ten years, a lot of these things will be in somebody's story. That's just a scary thought, right? But it's a scary thought because we didn't realize you get there in a certain way. right? So here's what the Bible says. Here, read this with me. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, listen, how many of you guys know that we don't start paying attention to this process until the death part starts to show up, right? Here's here's death part for a teenager. You get caught sending some illicit message to a friend that you never should have sent uh, that contains content, something you said, some image that never should have been sent, right? and your phone gets taken away from you, all right? That's the death of your phone, right? So we're, we're all the way at the end of this process. There's a death taking place, There's, and it's a pain, right? Now you're, now you're disconnected from all the peeps that matter to you, and your universe is caving in on itself, and nothing means anything because you don't have a phone, and no one knows you're still breathing, right? So that's death, right? So you have lost life at some level. But, but do you understand... That death took place because sinful choices were made, decisions were made. I'm just doing life, and I've got an opportunity to send something or not to send it. And I decide, yeah, I'm going to send that. I've got a choice to make in that matter. All right, That's where most Christians live. But according to the Bible, if you really want to deal with your choices, you're going to have to back up one step further and deal with your desires. Because when temptation comes along, he's not aiming at your choices. He's looking for your desires. Because once he can tap into your desires, your choices become really, really easy. Very basically because people do what they want to do. So the real question for you is, so what do you want? I never, I never explored this question as a teenager. I knew there were things I wasn't supposed to do and choices I was supposed to make. It wasn't until I was in my 20s that I began to ask the question, why did you do that? And the next question, what is it that you wanted? Right, what if, as a teenager, you could start to ask that question now? And God could begin to show you, why do you do what you do. All right, warning. Most of us really don't want to know this. I found it in my 20s embarrassing why I did what I did. Little, small, self-oriented, high view of me, self-inflated, it was not a pretty thing to discover why I did and what I wanted as a result of what I did. So on the one hand, part of you right now would perhaps be saying, don't listen to anything else he says. Because you might not want to know this about yourself. But the real danger that you're on is you're going to be sitting in a pastor's office at 32 years old, and he's going to turn around and say, do you mind if I introduce you to someone? Because all these years, you've never bothered to meet yourself. You know everything that's wrong with everybody else. You know what everybody else had not done right by you. But you don't know you. You don't know that you wanted things. You craved things. You had affections for things. So you have an opportunity to find out, what do you want? Here's some wants, right? Not everybody wants the same thing. There are athletic wants. Some of you guys here, you want athletic stuff? There's music and theater and drama and art wants. There's smart wants. There's people popularity wants, right? Some people just, just live to be the class clown. They want to be the leader of the pack. They want to be influential. They, just want to be, they don't want to be seen as second. They don't want to be overlooked for sure. And so even though, you know, you guys got friends like this that they, they want to be funny, but they're just not funny. You got any friends like that? Right? And so they're always inserting themselves like they're trying to tell a joke or they're trying to be funny in a moment. And it's kind of like they're just never funny, ever. Uh, okay, well, that, that guy wants something, right? I and mean, it's not like a job telling jokes. He, he wants something from you. He wants to be in the group. You, know, you, ever, you ever had people in the group who fight as to who's going to be the leader of the wolf pack? You know, they're, they're asserting themselves. They're always the one who speaks up first. They speak over you. They know everything. Everybody asks, oh, they're the first person to speak, right? Why do you do that? Well, I've never had the guts to ask myself why I do that. Well, might it be because you want something from people? You want people to think you're important, don't you? You want people to think you're pretty. You want people to think you're smart. You love it when people somehow get wind of what you got on your ACT test or on some scholarship you got to go to wherever, right? You just love that that might leak out about you. What? Okay. Why do you want that? All right. so the real problem with these things is not so much that you want them, right? them that family wants, right? That's a real safe one. But there's some of you here that the most important thing to you is safety and security. You're... Now, this is part of your personality, so I don't want to demean it, but you're, you're a little bit of a scaredy cat, right? You're kind of scared of your shadow. You don't want to venture out too far. So for you, family can be such a thing that's so important because it's, it's protected, and you don't feel threatened, and you don't have to take any risk, and you know what to expect from everybody. Right? All these things become cravings. What's that last one? I can't even see it. Friend wants, right? Oh, man. I want certain friends, and, and I, I want to be in the right group. And if so-and-so thought something of me and I could connect with them, well, what is it that you want? I, 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 I want to look cool. I want to look like I'm somebody important to the people that are important. If right, so you ever stop to ask yourself, what do I want? What am I really, really after? Well, here's an interesting thing, right? Let's go back to Daniel chapter 3. These guys, these guys stood on a day when an idol was offered and they refused it. They stood facing an idol with a gathering of people. All the important people were there. The band broke out. Drake was playing. You could be in. All you got to do is just participate. Just join in with this idol. These guys had the guts and something inside them to say, no, not me. Not for me. Right. Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up, right? Here's our parts. Here's our vocabulary words. An idol comes to you and it gets set up by somebody. Somebody makes this way of life, this way of thinking, this pattern look like it's going to be something really great in your life. There's the setup. And then people are gathered. The popular people, the pretty people, the talented people, the smart people, the people that you want to fit in with. They all gather and pressure comes for you to join in and serve that idol Or you're out. You're a nobody. That's the offer that comes to these three guys. And they turn around and say, we have no need. I I don't need what you're offering me. this, This is the thing that will rescue you for the rest of your life. I don't... I don't need your acceptance. I don't need your applause. I don't need you to tell me how great I am. I don't need you to be impressed with me. I don't need you to tell me I'm the right size, I'm handsome. I don't need need that. Well, Keith, why don't you need that? Because God meets my needs. And so there's an affection toward God that makes it hard for you to grab hold of the rudder of my ship because God has won my affections. Let me just say this. That doesn't happen in an instant. That happens over years and times of walking with God and encountering God in such a way that he does something on the inside of you that sets off those affections in such a way that you start to want him more than you want anything else. Then when that other stuff comes and makes an offer to you, there's something inside you that's very at peace and you greet life with, I don't need that. Last story. Ben, you guys can come back up. Um, I got saved in February of 1979 right, so this would have been my life leading up to that, freshman in high school. The thing to do on a Friday night was to go hang out with the jocks. The jocks weren't freaks, right? So they weren't, most of them weren't. So they didn't do the drug scene, but they were just all drinkers, right? So the jocks got drunk every Friday night. And so if you wanted to be cool, you went and hung out if you were, you know, trying to be a jock. You hung out with the jock guys and you tried to be cool. So, well, to be cool, right? So, I'm a freshman and these guys are juniors and seniors, so I'm a little out of my pay grade, but I wanna be cool. And there's nothing like being cool to the seniors. If you're a freshman, you can fit in with the seniors. <laughs> I'm something, right? So, I wanna be something, I wanna fit in. So, I go to the Friday night parties and get drunk every Friday night, every Friday night. So I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to fit in. That matters to me. But then, interestingly, I encounter God and I get saved in February of 1979. I think it was either a Friday night or a Saturday night when that salvation took place. You guys might remember. One week later, it's Friday night. What do you do on Friday nights? Well, I go hang out with the jocks on Friday nights. So that next Friday night, I go hang out with the jocks. The whole night passes. It was like a fog. I barely remember what I did throughout that night, but I remember this. I'm driving home with this friend of mine who's about to drop me off, and I'm turning the corner, and of course... You know, by that time, I'm, I'm, I'm a liar. I've deceived my parents. They, they think I'm doing things that, that I'm not doing, and et cetera. So, I, of course, I'm usually disappointed. As I turn down our street, I'm thinking, okay, how do I get past my parents without them smelling alcohol on me? So that's, I'm, now I'm having to strategize. What time is it? Will they still be up? Uh, gonna walk by fast or carry something in? So I'm thinking about how do I lie, deceive them? And as I turn onto the street, I suddenly realize, I'm not drunk. For the first time after a Friday night party, I didn't drink a thing. And this image passed across my mind of an ice chest full of Miller beers that I didn't touch. And I knew, I knew in that moment, it's like God communicated something to me that he had changed something on the inside of me. I didn't even want that anymore. No one told me I couldn't have it. No one put a gun to my head. Something had changed on the inside of me from just the week before that God had become something to me. And for some reason, that, that little beer bottles and what they represented and fitting in with the crowd could no longer grab the rudder of my ship. It's like it had slipped out of its grasp and those things couldn't own me anymore. And they never did for the rest of my life I never never got drunk ever again never tried to become part of that I still had friends in those settings but you know suddenly I became one of the Bible boys in, in the high school and that became a different little group and so now you had jocks and freaks and Bible boys um, in there but listen you know, I, don't, I don't know what you guys are experiencing as you go trying to do your life. There are these things inside of you. There's these affections inside of you. You run around with them every day of your life. You, you experience them. They affect you. You drive toward things. You do crazy stuff. God's after those affections. The relationship that God wants with you is a relationship that has affections in it. And when my affections get attached to God, then when idols come along, you will turn to those idols just like these guys and say, I... I have no need of what you offer me. My God is what I need. And then they say something very mature and amazingly radical. And if he doesn't give me anything of what you're offering, I still will be loyal to him. Wow, really? So if God, you don't make me popular, God, if you don't make me smart and stand out and everybody thinks I'm special and applaud me and make a big deal out of me, if you don't give me that, would I still be loyal to God? Well, if you love God and you've experienced Him that way, yeah, you would. And they did. So, what I want you to do tonight, I want you just to make room in your heart tonight. To have the courage. Can you have the courage with me tonight to ask yourself this question? Why do I do what I do? What do I want? What's on my list of wants? Who, who do I want to fit in with? What, where are my affections wanting something? And let God speak into those places. Let him, let him show you something about what it is that you really, really want. Cause you know, you may find out tonight and this would be a great thing. Don't be scared to discover this. That you want God at this level and you want something else at this level. The result is your Christianity, it just feels so empty and so unrewarding because you want God at this level and you want something else at this level. But what if God tonight would begin to show you how empty it is to want this and begin to raise your affections for Him in such a way that these things become beer bottles that you walk right past in your life? Well, He can do that. I know He can do that because I've seen Him do it in my own life and too many others let's stand up together Jesus there's no new- Jesus, we love you and ever adore you. There's no one like you. Jesus, we love you and ever adore